All right, Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Galatians chapter 5. At least eventually we're going to get there. And this is a chapter that we're actually going to be spending a lot of time in uh, over the course of the fall. Um, talk more about that here in just a few minutes. But we are going to spend uh, quite a bit of time uh, in, this, in this book and in this, this chapter. We're not going to really get outside of this chapter within this book, but we will spend quite a bit of time here. Uh, so you might want to just get get used to it. I want to pick up really this week right where I left off uh, last week. But before I do that, I kind of want to tell you where we are going to go over the next few weeks. We're in the middle of this kind of, I don't know, mini sermon mini series, I guess is what uh, I would call it. It doesn't really fit into a neat kind of start and stop category. Really what we're doing over the course of the last couple of weeks and into the next couple of weeks is kind of transitioning back into our series about the attributes of God. But take us uh, a couple of weeks before we uh, get there. And so what we're doing right now is kind of this all-in for 2020 uh, reboot, the all-in for 2020 uh, redux, just kind of going back and saying, how do we get back to that place where we were at in January when we said, all I am, all I've got, it's all yours, God, I'm all in before the world kind of fell apart and redirected and, and, and kind of restructured our, our thoughts and, and frankly everything about our everyday lives. And so uh, what we're doing is we're just trying to, to, to get into that. And what I feel is that the Spirit has been uh, pressing this into my heart uh, that as we have been kind of punched in the mouth this year, nothing has changed about what God has called us to and I personally need to be reminded that God's call on my life, on who I am supposed to be as a pastor, who I'm supposed to be as a dad, who I'm supposed to be as a husband, who I'm supposed to be as a follower of Jesus, none of that has changed in the midst of everything else changing. And so what I want to be able to do is kind of recenter us back on that idea. Bring us back to this truth that nothing has changed. And most importantly, what has not changed is that God has promised He would be with us in all of that. And so what we're going to do over the next two weeks is kind of make this transition back into our series looking at God's attributes. And uh, I think it'll make sense to you. It, it makes sense to me now because I kind of know where we're going. And I think it will make sense to you here in a couple uh, of weeks. And I'll be honest with you, I thought long and hard uh, about trying to figure out some sort of catchy introduction for you this morning. Uh, some sort of story that would kind of hook you in and say, all right, I I'm on board with what this guy's got to say. I I'm just telling you right now, I'm going to pick right up on the illustration I used last week, so it's not going to be anything new. I've I thought long and hard about how to do that. This is what uh, preachers are taught how to do, is if we can get your attention in the first few minutes, then we at least have a shot of maybe having your attention for a few more minutes after that. That's kind of what, what you're, you're taught whenever you go to school to learn how to do this, is if you get their attention for a little bit, you might get lucky and keep their attention for the whole thing. It's not a very optimistic view of you as the listener, but I thought long and hard about some way to do that to kind of to kind of get you uh, hooked, but I don't really have a big story to tell. Um, I'm, I'm just going to pick up on the illustration from uh, last week, but I do want to plead with you this morning. What we're talking about this morning and in the next day, the next uh, week or two, I believe 
is desperately needed. And it may just be desperately needed for me. I can assure you, I am preaching this message to me long before I am preaching it uh, to you. But there's something about the last few weeks that God has truly pressed some things into my heart that I believe Satan is working right now and that these days that we are in over the next few weeks are crucial in our lives. They are crucial in the life of this church. They are crucial in the life of your family. They are crucial in the life of the church at large in America. And they are crucial in your life personally. I think we are entering into days that will forever mark us. That will forever mark this country. That will forever mark this church. That will forever mark you and your family. It is one that whenever you look back on your life, what happens in these weeks and months to come, will be ones that you will look at and you will say, it was then that my life took this direction. It was then that this country took this direction. It was then that our family took this direction. It is these days that are upon us now that we can see coming towards us. I do not believe all days are counted the same. Some days it seems like are just days. But some days will change the course of your life forever. And I believe that those days are coming. Usually those days are spread out amongst the congregation. Over the course of a year or two, many of you would experience those days at different, different times, differing points. Some of you may know that those days had come. Some of you may not even realize it at the time. Maybe it's because of a, a death in a family. Maybe it's because of a divorce. Maybe it's because of you know, a, a chapter closing as a child starts school or ends school or goes away to school. Like There's different types of seasons in, in lives, and usually that's spread out over differing months, years as a church. But this one, what we are in right now, is one that is true to all of us. We find ourselves in a moment that will, on, in some measure, define all of our lives. And I'll get back to that here in just a minute and, and kind of walk through some of that. Last week I used this illustration of Isaiah swimming in the, in the ocean and, and slowly, gently, imperceptibly to him, he was being carried along down the shore just side to side being pushed down the, the, the shore. And at, at some point he got far enough away and he said, wait a minute, Dad, why are you way over there? Why did you swim that way? And I said, buddy, I didn't swim anywhere. My feet have been on the ground. I've been right here in the same spot. You're the one that has moved. You're the one that has been taken down the shoreline. He was able to recognize that that undertow had, had drawn him uh, away, had taken him away from the lifeguard that was right in front of us, from the, 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 the family uh, that was on shore. He was able to look up on the shore and say, oh yeah, I have moved. This is not where I thought I was. And he was able at the time to adjust and swim back against the undertow and get back to where he was caught up with me. And over and over and over, this process would repeat itself the whole time we were at the beach. 
But if he had not realized this, he may have just kept drifting right along down the shore. And there is all the chance in the world that he may have just kept drifting right up until he found uh, a riptide that may have uh, had the water rushing out to sea and pulled him out to the ocean. At that point, I would be unable to help him and it would take all the effort that a lifeguard would have to be able to reach him. Friends, I'm convinced this is where many of us sit right now in our lives. That we thought this virus was a hurricane coming to knock us over. And so what we did back in March is we boarded up the house. We went and we bought all the the water and toilet paper we could find. And and, And we hunkered down together and we said, All right, this thing's coming. Let's just hang on and we'll get through this. And just like a storm that's coming, we stayed in the house and we said, all right, now what? And then we got to, to, to April somewhere in May, and we kind of emerged, and we, and, and we came out of our house, and we said, let's see what damage this storm has done. And for us here in East Tennessee, we came out and we said, you know what, my house is, my house is really in pretty good shape. I, I, did, the, did the hurricane even come through here? And we thought that's what this virus was going to be, was like a hurricane. But, but I'm convinced for us here in this place that it was less like a hurricane and it was more like the undertow just pushing us away. Just as we waited and as we hunkered down and as we kind of did our thing and as we adjusted a few different things and we shut down church that slowly, imperceptibly, we just kind of drifted. And we just kind of moved. And we never looked back to the shore to say, where's my family at? Where's my church family at? Where is my relationship with God at? Where did He go? I'm just, I'm just hanging on. I, I'll deal with that stuff when the hurricane passes. But, but, but in the meantime, we're just kind of drifting. And I believe that right now is the moment where we must be able to look back and to say, okay, I realize where I've drifted and now we must adjust course. And if we do not do that in the coming weeks and months, I wonder how long it will be until the riptide just takes us out to sea. Now perhaps you think that I'm being a bit overdramatic, It's possible. I am no prophet. But I am convinced more and more as I watch and as I consider the days that are coming that this event will mark our lives. This will be what what people read about in history books. How did this happen? What did they do? How did they adjust? What did it look like? And we are in those days right now where we answer those questions. This event will will define many of our lives. The fighting over masks. The political fight over an apolitical virus. The shutdown of churches. The shutdown of schools. The shutdown of athletics. The reopening of schools. The reopening of churches. 
the, the, the restart of, of sports, all of it will mark our lives on some level. We're watching it happen in real time. And if you're a history junkie, you can maybe kind of pull yourself out a little bit, take the 30,000 foot view and say, hey, this is kind of cool to watch. This is kind of interesting to be a part of. I always wondered what it would be like to be a part of something that defined us like this. But far more important than the mark this moment makes on history will be the mark that it makes on us. And the question I will ask you that you will be able to answer here in the next few months is what mark will it leave on you? And what mark will it leave on your family? Will it be the days that your life turned to rely on Christ? That you turned to be kind to others? That you turned toward your pursuit of the, 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 your, your neighbor and the good of your neighbor? Or will it be the moment that you turned political and you found your hope in a false god? Will it be the moment you turned self-serving and demanded your rights? Or will it be the moment you lived in fear and tried to control everything, only finding you could control very little? Will it be the moment that you felt the weight of your uh, own breath of life and how temporary our lives are? Will it be the moment that you figured out that you needed to, 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 to somehow beat death forever? And you tried to get a hold of things and, and conquer this virus and the effect it may have on your life. How will this moment mark you? The reason we began our series on the attributes of God this summer is because I firmly believe that we need a right view of God if we are going to have any chance at getting these upcoming days right. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll transition back into looking at who this God is and what He calls us to be. So open up to Galatians 5. As we go through this, I just want to plead with you to hear Paul's heart for the church, for the Galatian church, and what they are going through and what they are dealing with. It's not one-to-one for us. I can't break this text down and say, here's exactly what Paul would say to us. But just pastorally, I can feel the, 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 the angst in Paul's teaching in this chapter. And I just feel it so directly applies to us. So I'll be the first to tell you I'm kind of reading our situation into this chapter. It's a dangerous way to preach. I don't recommend doing it often. But I want to just pull out some of what Paul says and see if that doesn't, if that doesn't resonate with you just a little bit too. So Galatians 5. The book of Galatians is a rich book. And it's got a ton of verses that we all know well. Verses that we can quote. Verses that we know kind of backwards and forwards. But surrounding those verses in Galatians are some pretty technical and complicated arguments in that book. And so it can be kind of hard as you read through it because you'll be reading through it and you're trying to follow Paul's argument. And then, you know, this, this, this thing will pop up, this verse. You'll be like, oh, I've heard that verse before. I know that one. I've quoted that one. And then following after that would be all kinds of more technical arguments about, about what's going on. And what, 
what Paul's trying to do is he's, he, he, he's trying to walk the church uh, of Galatia through this idea of what it means to follow Christ and to leave behind the rules and regulations of their Jewish faith. And he's trying to drive home the fact that Jesus is everything that you need. That's just what he just, he, he drives that in over and over and over. But then when you get to Galatians 5, he's still talking about how Jesus has done everything, and, he, and he's going to transition into talking about the Spirit. We'll talk about the Spirit a little bit this morning, but we're going to talk about it a lot next week and a whole lot over the course of, uh, of the fall. We'll talk about how, how the Spirit works, how he, he works in our lives. And so whenever you get into Galatians chapter 5, Paul's made all these technical arguments, and then you get into the, the very first verse and it's going to be one that you know well. Often quoted. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For, the free, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. Have you ever tried to teach someone a new skill? I know we've got a ton of teachers here. We've got, we got, we got parents here, but... You, have you ever tried to teach someone a new skill, like how to throw a baseball, how to do a complex math problem, how to drive a car? Lord, help me, I'm going to be doing that one here way too soon. Have you ever tried to teach someone that, that skill? And unless your, your student is a quick study, inevitably you will get to this moment that Paul is at with the Galatians. These Galatians are new Christians, but they're, they're starting to go about things all wrong, totally different than how Paul had, had taught them. Like they're, they're starting to, to, to do all these things that Paul said, no, 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 you don't have to do all those things. He had already told them, this is all that you need. You go to the cross, you trust Jesus, and you let the Spirit work. And they said, okay, that's great, we'll do all that, but... We used to do all this other stuff too, so we're going to keep doing all this other stuff too. We're going to do circumcision and we're going to follow these food laws and we're going to do this and we're going to do that because you know what? What A little bit more is not going to hurt anything. And so Paul gets to this place and he, he's saying, you know what, you're doing all this stuff, but you've got to stop doing it. He's imploring them to stop. To, to see what they're doing and to see what they're, they're missing. And so sometimes you, this happens when you're teaching someone a, 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 a new skill and if you're a less, pers- less, less patient person uh, than I am, you say this in your head, but if you're like me, you end up eventually saying this out loud and you're like, what are you, what are you doing? That's not how I told you to do it. We, we didn't talk about that. I, didn't, I never said that you do it that way. Why would you do it that way? We, we, we've been over this. Why, why, would you, why, would you, why, why would you do that at that step in that math problem? I don't, where did that come from? That's nowhere in the, the, the thing here. We, we, I never said to do that. This is kind of where, where Paul is at. He's going over and over. Paul is much nicer He's trying to implore them to realize that there is a better way than the one that they are trying to do. And what he is saying is, don't go back to the old way of doing things. That's like slavery. 
The, the way that I have taught you, the way that I have laid out for you, that is a way that is full of joy, full of hope, and full of freedom. Just stick to that. You don't need to do this other stuff. Where did all that come from, guys? What in the world are you doing? He says, you feel the need to do this stuff because your hope is built in that stuff. But I'm saying be free because Christ has delivered you into that freedom. Don't give away your freedom so easily. Don't give up on your freedom. Freedom is an amazing gift that you have been given. And I'm not talking about the freedom like we enjoy here in America. I'm not talking about a political freedom. I'm talking about a freedom of your heart to be able to to, to not feel the burden to prove yourself before God. And Paul's saying he's not delivered you to some other set of rules to earn his favor. He set you free so that you can be free. So rejoice in that gift. Now we talk about that reality a lot here at Providence. You won't go more than a sermon or two without, you hear, without hearing me talking about being freed from religion, freed from the checklist, freed from this idea of you've got to do this, 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 and this in order to make God happy. We are freed from that. We do not earn God's favor by doing certain things, and we also do not put Him in our debt to say, God, you owe me if you do these certain things. We are freed from all of that. If you're around here much, you know that this is really the root of the gospel and what the Scripture teaches. But I want you to notice where Paul goes with this freedom. At first he says, celebrate freedom for what it is. Freedom. Celebrate it for the gift that it is. Not as a means to an end so that you can go do whatever you want. Just as freedom for what it is. And then he says, now look at what freedom enables you to do. You see, there's a line of thought within Christian thinking that says, since Jesus has set us free, then we are free to do anything and everything that we have no obligations, that there is nothing that has been placed on us as followers of Christ, that we are free as the freedom is the, the sense of no obligations. That is not what Paul is saying here. He is not trying to convey that. And it's, danger, it's why it's dangerous for us to take things out of context whenever we study Scripture. Paul's pastoral concern here is not that we would flaunt our freedom as though we had received a lottery ticket. Like, I don't have to pay attention to my budget anymore because I just won $100 million in the lottery. I can just go buy whatever I want. That's not the kind of freedom that we have in Christ. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying you had a debt that you had to pay. That debt has been removed. So now you are free. But it doesn't mean you can just go, you can go do whatever you want. But instead that freedom now enables you. It motivates you. It presses you to do something else. And so his motivation is that we would embrace our freedom. Not as a means to an end to do whatever we want but as one that provides for us the opportunity to do so much 
more. Paul says, don't go back to the old way of life, the old way of thinking. Rejoice in the gift that you've been given. I feel that same burden that Paul does this morning. Perhaps this is not the same theological concerns that drive me, though I I obviously share Paul's concern for legalism and for, uh, it's called antinomianism, where you you just give up on the law and you say, I don't have to do anything. I, I share Paul's concern there, but this morning, that's not necessarily the same thing that that has burdened my heart and this kind of weighed on me in the last couple of weeks. This morning I share Paul's concern, not about legalism, but instead that we may be drifting back into places and into habits and into routines and into ruts that will not bring us joy, but that will just put us back into the slavery of our flesh. You see, this is the battle that Paul's going to unpack throughout the rest of chapter 5. This battle between the flesh and the Spirit. Between the old man and the Holy Spirit who now lives in us. He's going to unpack that over and over and over again. And he's going to explain all the different ways that these two things are at war with one another. And what Paul says now is that you are free. And now that you're free, what does that enable you to do? You see, before you were in bondage, and that meant you served one master, you. And so you weren't able to do anything but serve you. You weren't able to do anything but think about you and what what you needed to do. But now, now you've been able to do something else. The first thing he says, it tells us in that first verse, it enables us to stand firm. Paul says, don't go back to that yoke of slavery. Don't go back to that old life. Stand firm. Don't be carried away by this false teaching. In Paul's mind, he sees the church drifting back to their old ways. He sees the church heading back into a dangerous place, and he knows they're at a critical moment. Where the path that is ahead of them is one that will lead them toward Christ or one that will lead them back into slavery, back into this law-based system. And I feel the same kind of weight this morning for us, for me personally, that, that, that we're in this place where the path before us kind of marks us. Either it will lead us further and deeper into Christ, pursuing Him, trusting in Him, resting in Him, or it will lead us back into this place of kind of just kind of drifting. Just kind of ho-hum making it. Just kind of getting through the day. Just kind of forgetting that, that Christ has called us to something. And so I feel Paul's angst here where he says, don't drift away, stand firm. Stand where you are, be planted. Use that freedom as the impetus to stand. Realize where you are heading and stand up and and, and anchor yourself in the ground. Don't be drifting.
share his concern that each of us may be drifting back into places and habits and routines that much like the Galatians will not bring us joy. It will rob us of the joy that we have in the freedom of Christ. And what Paul says is now that you are free, stand firm. Don't go to that old life. That one that you were moving away from. That one that, 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 that Christ was drawing you out of for your joy. Don't go back to that and miss out on what it is that God would have for you. In Paul's mind, it's not time to retreat, but it's time to hold your ground. There's a war that's about to be fought that's about to be fought. And Paul says that one of the chief weapons for you is to rest in the freedom that we have been given in Christ. Put your feet in place. Stand firm. Stop drifting with the waves. And look to the shore. I like the way Paul says it in verse 7. Galatians 5, chapter, or, yeah, chapter 5, verse 7. He says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. So, so Paul goes back in and he makes some more arguments about legalism and then he gets to verse 7. He says, you were running well. You were doing so great. Man, I had set you on a course and you were running that course well. What happened that made you stray? Why did you take the detour? Why did you go away from this, this calling that you had been given? Your feet were planted. Your eyes were fixed. How did you get so distracted? Whatever it was, you can be sure that it was not God that was pushing you in that direction. And this morning, the question that, that, that drives me, the question that weighs on me this morning for me and for you is what has distracted you this morning? You were running so well. What has distracted you this morning? What has made you shift your gaze? What has hindered your passion? What has frustrated your pursuit of Him? What has moved your feet and lifted them up to where they are no longer planted and standing firm, but instead caused you to drift? Is it money? Is it fear? Is it self-righteousness? The self-righteousness that you wear a mask or the self-righteousness that you don't wear a mask, whichever one you feel like makes you more self-righteous? Is it just being right? Is it just your desire to be right that has caused you to kind of lose focus? Where your interest is not necessary, necessarily about glorifying God, it's not about, it's not about caring for, for anyone, it's really just about being right. And so you utilize all of your brain power to figure out how you can, you can be right about whatever it is in these days. Is it marriage problems that you're tired of fighting? Is it just pure laziness that has gotten you distracted? Is it busyness? Now that things are up and rolling again, is it busyness that's gotten you distracted, that's robbed you of joy? 
that's caused you to, 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 to miss what it is that God is calling you to, that's, that, that's prevented you from glorifying Jesus and instead has made it about you getting yourself and your business done. You know, that's one of the great lies that Satan has gotten us to believe. That our relationship with God is okay to kind of fudge on when we're busy. That it's all right that we just kind of put that on the shelf for a little while whenever life gets crazy. When life gets hard, when it presses in on us, when we kind of have to double down just to make it through the day, something clicks in our head that says, eliminate all non-essential tasks and just get the day done. Right? That's necessary for us, right? You have to be able to do that some days where you just have to say, eliminate all the extra and let's just get the tasks done. And somehow we reduce God to a task and our pursuit of him as a non-essential, and he gets left behind. And it's just a matter of get things done. And we have associated getting things done with being successful, with getting ahead, with being better. And all the time Satan has said, you go get that stuff done. I love your checklists. Just so long as God's not on the checklist. So long as he's not essential. To your day. And there's all kinds of people waiting in line to pat us on the back and say, you're absolutely right. Just, just keep working hard. We cannot let these days be defined by our persistent busyness and our absence of our relationship with God. Now sometimes that relationship will look like unhindered, passionate pursuit of God. In other days, it will look like quiet rest. But that relationship has to be there. And that's the freedom that Paul is talking about for us to stand firm. We stand in that relationship with Jesus. We plant our feet there and we are not moved. But for too many of us, our feet have been taken out from under us because life's just gotten crazy. Paul asked the question, what has stopped you from running like you were? And I would ask the same for you. Finally, this morning, I want to look at Paul's summation of this freedom and what it, what it truly frees us to do. And we'll do the other half of this chapter next week and we'll talk about specifically how the Spirit works in all this. But this morning, I just want you to see in, in, in verse 13 where this should push us. He goes back to this idea of freedom. He's got one more word to give us about freedom. And here's what he says. Verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Stop right there. Don't read ahead. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So Paul's about to give instructions for how we can make sure that our flesh doesn't take control and doesn't lead us astray. He's saying, use your freedom carefully here because your flesh is looking for opportunities. The sin is looking for an opportunity to take over. 
So first he says it was for freedom we've been set free, so rejoice in that freedom itself. But now he says, take that freedom and let it, let it keep you from giving in to the flesh. When it says right there, when it says don't give an opportunity for the flesh, that's really like a, a military term. Saying don't let your freedom be a base of operation for your sin. That's kind of what he's trying to convey there. Don't let it be the launching pad for your sin. Instead, take that freedom and, and, and let it go on the offensive. Help it, let, let it fight the war for you. So how do you fight the war? What would you say there? If you're writing this letter to the Galatians, what would you say? If your flesh is working against you, what would you do to fight the war against the flesh? What, what instructions would you give? How do you fight the war against the flesh? What's the most effective strategy? Is it accountability groups? Is it, is it hanging out with others and talking about the Bible? Is it Bible study? Is it accountability software on your phone and on your computer? Is it filters on your computer? Maybe it's prayer. Would you tell them Bible study and Scripture memory? I mean, all these are good things. I'm not knocking any of them. But Paul doesn't use any of those as the way to fight against the flesh. He talks about those things in other places. Not computer software, but you get the idea. He talks about those things in other places. So they're good things. I'm not knocking them. But that's not what he says here in Galatians chapter 5. He says, if you want to fight a war against the flesh, here's what you need to do. Look at the rest of verse 13. Through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul's exhortation for fighting against the flesh Paul's exhortation for fighting against the sin that would rule over us. It's none of those things that we necessarily think of as these good ways to fight sin. It's to look to others, figure out how to love them, and figure out how to serve them. That's his challenge. And when you do that, the drift can stop. And you can set your mind and you can set your hearts on the offensive when you love one another. Go back to Isaiah in the ocean. The best way for me to stay planted in the ocean is whenever Isaiah could get close enough, I could reach out to him and I could grab hold of his hand and I could pull him back up against the undertow. In order for me to pull him back up, I had to make sure that my feet were well planted on the, 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 the sand. Well planted where I could pull him hard. Serving and caring for him was the best way for me to make sure that I wasn't going anywhere. Friends, this morning I feel the pull. And I am pleading with you that you feel it too. The, the undertow is there. It is pulling you. 
It's not a question of whether or not it is there. It's a question of whether or not you feel it. And if you don't feel it, I am terrified for you. Even in the best of conditions, the pool is always there. But it's particularly strong right now. And I am convinced we are in days that will define us. Days that we will talk about for decades. Days that will mark our lives and our families' lives. And I'm asking you, what mark will it leave for you? What I think I'm asking you to do this morning is to look back to shore where your reference points are. Are they in the same place they were a few months ago? Or do they seem a little bit, a little bit more distant than they were? Is the church as close and as important to you? Are your relationships with others as, as, as central to you? Your front porch community, your discipleship group. Your relationship with God, is He where He was a few months ago? Or does He seem distant to you now? Does it seem like you're not, you're not all that close anymore? Praise God if you feel like He's closer to you now. Certainly, certainly that, that may have happened in these days. But that undertow will still keep pulling you. And it will keep pulling you. And so long as you're only concerned about yourself and you're not looking back to shore and you're not looking to help others, you probably aren't going to feel it pulling you. And I'm pleading with you. Realize what the next few months will mean. And choose the path where, where, you can, where, where Paul has, sat us, has, has, has directed us to and where God has called us to that says, I'm all in and Jesus is my only hope and I am, I am laying it all down for Him. My busyness will not distract from that relationship. My busyness will in fact drive me more to Him. The, the frustration and the confusion and the lack of routine and all the things that have gone on, let that be something that draws you more to Him, not let you drift further down the shore. You want to make sure you have that relationship when the waves are strong, when the undertow is most powerful, and when you cannot see the shore. And my prayer is that these months ahead of us will not be marked by our drift away, but by our steadfast determination to plant our feet and stand firm in our relationship with God. And according to Paul, the first step in that is we love others and we find out how we can care for others. Stop asking the question first, not all together, but first, stop asking, how does this impact me? And start asking the question, how can I help somebody else? That's what our freedom is for. That we can love others. How can you make sure someone else is more important to you than you are to yourself today? It's a great way to start your day. In the days that we have ahead of us, 
Satan will use every tactic that he has to keep us distracted. I don't think it's a coincidence that we have an election coming up. I don't think it's a coincidence that we don't have a vaccine to fix all this. He will use all that he has to subvert and to pull us down and to pull us under. And what I'm asking you is that you would, you would, you would be with, with your other Christians, with your brothers and sisters, and that you would hold each other up and make sure that no one is taken out to sea. And that we would be marked in these days as people who stood firm and loved Jesus and loved each other. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we ask for things that we cannot provide, that we cannot do on our own. That we are, we are fully dependent upon you to provide. Father, we ask for awareness where we have drifted. We ask for strength to stand and the, the, the freedom to be able to stand in that that you have given us, that we would feel that freedom and then we would rejoice in it. Father, we ask for joy in these days in spite of whatever else may be going on. Father, we ask for the ability to be able to walk side by side with one another, to love one another, to care for one another, and that you would show us what that looks like in a way that glorifies you. Father, we can do none of these things. Father, we pray that we would be filled with spirit in these days. That we may be people that glorify you. Run the course that you have marked out for us. that you would sustain us, that you would draw us, that you would help us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.